Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Trajan Bridges saga is not over with. It wasn't just Trajan Bridges. It wasn't just Seth McGowan, but one other member of Oklahoma's football team was involved in that armed robbery, and uh, they've been dismissed from the team. So we got uh, we got that to talk about, as well as a bevy of additions to Oklahoma's 2020 recruiting class. Sorry, 2020? Where am I talking about? 2022 recruiting class and where do the, do the centers rank in the big 12 and nationally and the rich just keep getting richer as patty gasso continues to add to her already star-studded task um man this this group rich i keep telling you they're going to contend and repeat and uh, i think every time a press release comes out about the softball team it just proves me right but we'll see you got a whole season to play true or false i am going to ask the questions and that's it. That's the Sooner Nation podcast. So uh, let's start out with Mikey Henderson. The, the rumors were when this whole thing started, it was three players. You knew it was Trajan Bridges. You knew it was Seth McGowan. And yet here comes Mikey Henderson months after the fact. And now Mikey Henderson is gone and has a felony arrest warrant. You know, you and I talked about extensively about Mikey Henderson. Where does he fit into this running back H back rotation with all the additions that Oklahoma's brought on board? Now it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Not at all. Um, largely, Matt, because I know that we were looking at the future with Mikey Henderson, and I know that we were looking at the potential of a red shirt there ultimately what we were going to see was a dominant twosome in the backfield for oklahoma eric gray as well as kennedy brooks really really carrying the load but a lot of the questions have centered around the depth and can this group stay healthy now on paper it looks like a phenomenal group but we we have to account for the future as well and so when you looked at mikey henderson we knew that he was making that shift to the running back position what seems solely for depth purposes in the instance that a player were to get hurt. But you also like the versatility that he brought to the table, a guy who could play multiple positions, a guy who clearly could catch the ball coming out of the backfield, but a guy who also presented a mismatch for you anywhere that he was going to line up. And so Oklahoma, I, I get what's being said on from your, your standpoint here, Matt. Um, and I, I get the argument about depth that I've read online, uh, but that versatility was the the key component for Mikey Henderson and being on this team for me and that he would allow Lincoln Riley to run the offense that he, he wants to run and is capable of running in order to take a lot of the pressure off of the quarterback Spencer Rattler this upcoming year. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's no doubt that this kid had a incredibly bright future ahead of him. But I mean, again, you can say the same thing about Seth McGowan. You can say the same thing about Trajan Bridges. And it just goes to show if if they're proven guilty for what they're accused of, and it doesn't look good, just how bad mistakes can cost you in life. And and but again, if you're the Oklahoma football machine, you move on and and you we're gonna talk. This is by the way, this topic is going to come up again later in the podcast, but it's just one of those things where you you plug and play. That's that's where Lincoln Riley and DeMarco Murray are with this running back room. It's it's hey, next man up. And and you and I talked about my my viewpoint on this was always Mikey Henderson was moved into that running back room because Mikey Henderson was going to be de facto that running back Oklahoma didn't get in the 2021 recruiting class. I thought Mikey Henderson was most likely looking at a red shirt in 2021. Now you got to, you just got to ask yourself, 
was Mikey Henderson moved around on this depth chart and on the this these position levels? Was it was he moved around because they knew that there was a strong potential that this was coming? In other words, it's easier to bury a guy in the running back depth chart than it is on the H-back depth chart after he's had such a phenomenal season in 2020. So do you think there's a chance? I mean, this is just all speculation, but when you, you look at he moved from H-back to running back, and then you get all these running backs come in. He never was moved back officially to H-back. Was it to bury him uh, with the idea that this potentially was coming? It's very possible. It's also possible that that's not the case, but it is very possible that that was the situation that was playing out more of a precautionary tale than saying we had any concrete evidence or concrete knowledge of what was going to take place in the future and what Mikey Henderson's future with the team would be. I tend to lean more towards the fact it was still the depth issue, Matt. I'm not buying in to that speculation that you're throwing out there at this point, but it is a very valid argument that can be made. Well, it is, like I said, it's just speculation. There's, there's just no way that someone didn't know Mikey Henderson was involved in this. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying Lincoln Riley knew and that he tried to hide Mikey Henderson. What I'm saying is there were rumors, there were rumblings. They, there, there was a thought within the program that this could be the case. And, and maybe that's why until, until everything, I mean, again, we live in a society where you're innocent until proven guilty, but the second that those, um, that felony arrest warrant came out for Mikey Henderson, he was launched from this program. And final thought here on this is for me, Rich, I think it was the right decision. I mean, I think with all three of them, Bright Futures, we talked about how Trajan Bridges was going to be that guy who goes vertical and stretches the field. There, there's no doubt Lincoln Riley thought that Trajan Bridges had a high ceiling. We all saw what Seth McGowan was capable of last year. And, and again, we saw what Mikey Henderson was capable of last year. The Bedlam game will go down as his best football game in an Oklahoma uniform. But across the board, you have to dismiss these guys. There, there's no other There's no other recourse. This is not only is it the right move, it's the only move, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I do agree with that statement. When we look at what transpired, you look at the information that has slowly come out over time, and you look at the recourse, you look at the plan of action that the Oklahoma Sooners, the, the staff there came up with, there's no way to get around that. And I know that Oklahoma has handled some situations differently than what others outside of the program may have thought they should have. But I feel as though everybody on this level could say, you know what, they, they did get this one right. Uh, and when we look at those three individuals, it doesn't matter the talent that's on the field. It matters. Does the crime, does the punishment actually fit the crime? And in this case, it's, it's an easy yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. So here we go. Moving on to softball, uh, the rich keep getting richer. Patty Gasso, a, even you know, a month after winning the national championship, she stays relevant continually with uh, going into the summer and all the football talk. The Sooners add an all-conference player from Oregon, Alyssa Brito, um, and she played like she played. She plays shortstop for the Ducks. We know for sure that's not where she's going to play for Oklahoma because the Sooners have the best shortstop in softball with Grace Lyons, but. Again, just continue to add to this lineup, and and it's not just a, a, a utility player in the infield. It's it's another bat, and uh, it's a, a young lady with three years of eligibility. She already had chemistry with several members of the team because of travel ball and so forth. So this is an, another good pickup for for Patty Gasso. I, I Rich, I know you're all about arms and replacing the the girls in the in the circle, and I feel like Oklahoma's done a good job. At that, by the way, Olivia Reigns, who transferred out, announced that she's going to be going to Texas Tech. So the Sooners will see here again down the road, uh, you know, staying in conference play. But are you coming around yet from what on my side of this that Oklahoma's locked and loaded for a repeat? Or do you still need to see some things here? Man, I, I don't think that l- let me back up here before I jump into what I what I was going to say. What I recognize about this Oklahoma Sooners team and the program and the current players that are on the roster, what I recognize about them, Matt, is offensively they're off the charts. Mm -hmm. This is a team that proved that they're difficult 
to keep tabs on. Doesn't matter how good of a pitching staff you have. Doesn't matter how good of a team you think you have. When you're in the circle and you're facing this lineup from one to nine, there's danger lurking everywhere. And what we saw towards the, the latter half of the season was, was that it was the, the bottom half of this lineup that yeah. was really carrying Oklahoma in terms of hits and runs scored. That's where most of the damage was coming from. And then again, we see that flip as it gets into the postseason, and it's the top of the lineup once again doing the damage. So there's dangerous players that sits, they're speckled throughout this lineup from one to nine. And it's going to remain a very dangerous lineup because you look at what Oklahoma is losing and it's it's not much. Yes, they lose two in the circle. Yes, they're going to lose an outfielder. But when you're returning the entire infield, it speaks volumes of the capabilities of this team, not only offensively, Matt, but defensively as well. One of the things, one of the arguments was that Oklahoma hadn't been tested heading into the Women's College World Series, heading into not just the, the Women's College World Series, but heading into the postseason and the NCAA tournament in and of itself. All of a sudden, Washington comes to town and people are saying, you know what? Washington should not be the 16 seed here. They should have been inside the top top six, most likely. Um, at least that was the argument that I had heard. And Oklahoma took care of business as if it was no problem. And a lot of what they were doing when they were taking care of business was using freshman pitcher, specifically Nicole May. What we see and what we have in Nicole May is a good thing. I do think they'll need a second pitcher, and maybe that's Hope Trotwine. Maybe she steps in and, and she delivers on a consistent basis as one of the bigger transfers that Oklahoma secured. Um, but again, Matt, offensively, this team is off the charts. I still am worried about pitching because I know as long as you can get the ball to, to the plate and you can get the ball in play without giving up a ton of home runs and softball's trending, uh, you're not, you're, you're not, it's not a secret this this statement softball's trending towards more and more home runs there are big hitters there's a lot of power and that wealth is being shared across the country so there are some big hitters the question i'm asking is nicole may someone who can step in consistently and refuse to give up the long ball and instead get players to pop up or ground out consistently that has yet to be seen from my standpoint. It's why it's still a concern. But, I, hey, I wanted to say something really quickly on Brito. Um, I believe that she could very easily slide into Nicole Mendez's spot. Yeah, in exactly. That's, no, 100% mm -hmm. agree with you on that because that's that's where I thought uh, she was going to go as well. And, and by the way, congratulations to Nicole Mendez, who is playing on the Mexican national team, both her and Sydney Romero. Uh, representing uh, Team Mexico in the Olympics. Um, so I, I agree with you, Rich. I think that's the best spot for her to slide into. And uh, again, you know she's not going to play shortstop because of Grace Lyons. But um, if she needed to, uh, she's she's certainly capable. And we'll, I'll just, we'll just give you time. You, you may, it may take you to February or March and, and see this uh, how this team plays. And, uh, and then you can jump on with me on, on the repeat wagon. I, I will say this, though. Um, there wasn't a storyline that died or suffered a slower, more brutal death in 2021 so far than the Oklahoma hasn't been tested storyline. Because it was supposed to be the the it's supposed to be the the Pac-12 when when Washington came, it was supposed to be the SEC. It was supposed to be you know the ACC against Florida State. That every time OU had the postseason from from the regional on, it was well this is a team that hasn't been tested. This is a team that has, and all they did was win the national championship. And and again that argument proved to be futile, and it it, it suffered a, a a slow and tragic death. Yeah, the one thing I, I'm going to add to the whole Brito conversation at this point in time was a lot of people are familiar, excuse me, <clears throat> are familiar because of the press release. Mm -hmm. um, they're familiar that Brito has a relationship with some of the current OU players and some players who had a major impact on the season. We've already mentioned Nicole May, a pitcher who was on the same travel team as Alyssa Brito. There's Tiara Jennings as well. If we put her in the outfield, I 
I agree, Matt. It's it's a very easy transition for her. But I do want to say this is I don't think she stays there. In fact, I think we could see her playing multiple positions throughout the year. Just whatever the biggest need mm -hmm. is someone who is this talented, someone who is this athletic, um, because you've also got to think there are other players who had a major, major impact in the postseason that are going to be working and, and competing for playing time in the outfield as well. So whoever takes takes these spots, it's very difficult for me to count out someone who was uh, an all Pac-12 player as a true freshman. Right. And keep in mind, she's got three years of eligibility left. And I, I know Jada Coleman has called has called dibs on the uh, shortstop position after after Grace Lyons graduates. But don't be surprised to see her um, Britta at um, at shortstop before her sooner career is over with as well. Hey, we need to move on to uh, the recruiting talk here for Oklahoma. Sooner's picking up uh, yet another big time recruit on on Wednesday, and that is in Jake Taylor, offensive tackle, 6'6", 290. And it's just this, this momentum that Oklahoma – Do you, I mean, you go back a week ago, Rich, and people were down on this recruiting class because they had lost the receiver prospects. You got one who flips from Oklahoma to Oklahoma State so he can play with his brother. I addressed that a little bit last week on the podcast. But, but since, since 4th of July, this, this group has added Robert Spears Jennings, Xavier Bryce – um, we just talked about Jake Taylor, and then you're, you're going to add Jacob Sexton from Edmond, Oklahoma, Deer Creek, and, and then Derek Moore. And I feel like I'm leaving somebody out in that group. But this, it's a group that suddenly has gone from fringe top 25 in the national recruiting rankings by 24-7 sports to after Jake Taylor makes his commitment, Oklahoma now sits number four nationally, and they have a, a strong grip over the top spot in the Big 12. Uh, on the national recruiting rankings with Texas more than a point and a half behind the Sooners. The question is, though, do they hold on to this momentum? Because you know there's more. You know there's more coming. But you look at what's around them, who's ahead of them, who's just behind them. What is, to you, what's the more likely scenario? Now, granted, both could happen. But what's more likely, Oklahoma hangs on to the number one spot in the Big 12 or Oklahoma hangs on to a top five national ranking when this is all said and done in five months? More than likely, I, I feel as though it's going to be Oklahoma hanging on to the number one spot in the Big 12. You look at some of the coaching changes, you look at what's transpired here in the Big 12. And of course, there's a big name coming in and Steve Sarkeesian with the Texas Longhorns. I, I know that that carries a lot of weight. I know that the name carries recognition that potentially sways recruits to commit for Texas. I just don't see with the way the Oklahoma Sooners are trending right now that any team in the Big 12 overtakes them. On the national scene, Matt, there's a lot that has still yet to happen. There's a lot of big names that have yet to commit. We'll mention one here in just a little bit because I know I, I'm pretty sure I know one of the questions you're about to ask me. So I'm going to save it for that point in time. But there's a lot of a lot of individuals who could lean one way in the 247 crystal ball predictions, right. but completely surprise us and go somewhere else. I know Oklahoma's had a couple of decommitments here at the end of June as well. So a lot it can still happen. There's a lot of individuals who could commit and there's a handful of individuals who could decommit from Oklahoma. So those rankings are going to continue to shift. Those rankings are going to continue to go up and down until it comes to national signing day. Mm -hmm. And again, there could be surprises on national signing day as well. We're not unaccustomed to those types of situations playing out on that specific day on that specific morning. So I think it's more, more likely that Oklahoma hangs on to number one in the big 12 and maybe, maybe tumbles just stays inside of the top 10 though, nationally. I, I agree with you on that. And, and I, for all the reasons that you mentioned, and one thing though, that you didn't mention is a trend that you know, the people who make the rankings, they deny it. The people who follow the rankings say you can't deny it. But it's the trend that after a player commits to the University of Oklahoma, you kind of see his his grade drop. It's very seldom a four-star player will commit to the University of Oklahoma and then become a five-star player. 
it is it is very uh very popular so to speak it, um it happens where a player like Ethan Downs, he's the guy, he, he's the most recent example, who's the number one player in the state of Oklahoma, commits to the University of Oklahoma, and then suddenly he drops to the number two player in the state of Oklahoma. And, and you've seen guys go, you know, they, they, don't, they don't promote in their star rankings, but they either hold steady or they drop in their position ranking within a state or nationally. Because of that, I do see that it's more likely with all the other reasons that you mentioned that it's more likely Oklahoma hangs on to that top spot in the Big 12, but maybe drops out of the top five nationally. That said, there's still some guys that are looking to possibly be added to this class that that you really if it holds true, you're like, holy cow, this is this is going to be the best class Lincoln Riley's ever put together. And that includes, you know, the getting Caleb Williams last, last year. When you look at over the last week, since 4th of July, these new players that have committed, which one would you say you're most excited about, Rich? This, this may surprise you. It, it was Jake Taylor from start okay. to finish for me and it's not necessarily what he brings to the table it's not necessarily who he is as an athlete but more so because of what it means for the future of recruiting what we know matt is that there are some members on this oklahoma coaching staff who have direct connections to las vegas nevada to that the las vegas area and i know one of the things matt when we originally brought up the name jake taylor we brought it up in conjunction with the name zion branch now exactly. i don't know that zion branch is coming to the university of oklahoma given how things are transpiring in his recruiting process and where people believe him to land in the future but what i'm looking at with zion branch was he was an individual who presented the size and athleticism to be that that stretch, I called them very lengthy um, and rangy originally. Um, and they're, they're, when you put them in the secondary, they're the ones who cover all those gaps for you because of their ability to cover ground, but because of their, their height, their length as well. Six, two and a half, 190. I felt as though he would have fit into Alex Grinch's system, would have fit what Alex Grinch is looking for ideally. And I was hoping that they would come as a package deal. So again, it's not necessarily what Jake Taylor brings as an athlete, but it could be very much so the start of a relationship, a connection, a pipeline to Bishop Gorman out at Las Vegas um, in Nevada. Why in the state of Nevada, Matt, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Bishop Gorman has seven of the top 15 recruits in the state playing for their high school football team in the class of 2022. That's definitely a resource, like I said, that I feel like you want to tap into. It's definitely a direction that you want to look at more often than not, especially when you have a name like DeMarco Murray as one of your coaches. Yeah, and there's a reason why Dar DeMarco Murray, the running backs coach, was instrumental in recruiting Jake Taylor uh, out of Bishop Gorman. So that just makes sense. I, I, I love Zion Branch. Um, number two player from the state of Nevada, but I think he's Ohio State bound, which I think is what you were alluding to there as well. For me, though, when you look at this this recent crop of commitments, the guy I'm I'm most excited about is Derek Moore, the the four star defensive lineman uh, out of St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, um, number three player from the state of Maryland. But this is a guy that again, when, when you're looking at what Oklahoma is doing with this defensive line. And the kind of guys that they want to do it with, 6'4", 260, he's a Charles Tapper. I know I'm, I'm, I'm throwing that out there because of proximity to, to, to where they're from. But Oklahoma beat out, you know, they beat out Florida, Florida State, Alabama, uh, just um, amongst 19 other schools to, to get him. And I think the future's bright with him. However, they decide to use him in the middle of the line or as a, on, a, on the end. Um, this is a kid that's going to be versatile and is going to have, I think, a, an impactful career for the University of Oklahoma. And the two guys that I'm an offensive guy, you know this about me, Rich. You know, I coached offense. You know, I played offense back in the day. But the, the defensive side of the ball really really excites me about this class. You got Derek Moore. I just mentioned about, I love uh, Kobe McKenzie as well uh, out of Lubbock, Texas, right there in Texas Tech's backyard. Uh, I think these are names that three years from now, you're talking about all conference type players 
for the University of Oklahoma. When you look at the breakdown of this class, you've got seven different states represented, six different positions represented, but this is a class that, as we've talked about, is far from being complete to this point. Who do you see uh, as being possibly the next guy that's going to commit and be a part of this class? <laughs> you asked me that question, and I literally have no <laughs> no stinking ideas. I could tell you who I would hope that it would be, but I, I couldn't tell you who I truly thought that would be. Um, and it's it's a name that I've continuously thrown out. Why? Because he's a top recruit in the state of Oklahoma, knew, and it's Gentry Williams. Yeah, I knew it. When yes, you said I'm I not, tell you who I hope. I'm it is. not. I'm not going <laughs> to back away from that. I'm not going to back away from that hope. Um, and again, it goes down to it comes down to making inroads with in-state recruits more consistently uh -huh. more often than not. And Gentry Williams is, a, is an individual we know who was already previously committed to the University of Oklahoma. I do think he's still an Oklahoma lean, but wanted to experience that process. And as we kind of head into the, the fall semester for these would-be seniors in high school, I think a guy like Gentry Williams is going to say, you know what? I've known my decision. I've known it since I've decommitted and I'm ready for the process to be over so I can focus on my last year of school. I can focus on enjoying that senior year and making the most of it, whether that be on the field or in the classroom. And hopefully, like I said, my hope here, Matt, is that he would be that, <laughs> that next commitment. Yeah, I would have bet $100 that's that's who you were going to uh, to go with there. And and I don't blame you. I mean, again, you, for all the reasons that you mentioned, you you want to get that top player from the state of Oklahoma. I I think right now, the way I understand it with him, it's it's down between o Oklahoma who like you said is a slight favorite here and USC is very much in the picture there with him. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I just don't know, Rich. It's just how, how much can OU get him to, to come back? And, you know, it's not a situation. I, I heard someone comparing this to, to Luther Burden, you know, who's committed to Oklahoma, but also exploring other options and, and trying to compare Gentry Williams in, in the same mold. Well, the difference is Luther Burden's still committed to the University of Oklahoma, and he's still actively recruiting people to be a part of this 2022 recruiting class where Gentry Williams is full on, you know, he's a free agent, so to speak. He's out there exploring every option that he has. And he may come back around. He may come full circle back to the University of Oklahoma, but don't sleep on USC being a part of his recruitment. For me, the guy I'm looking at is another guy that we've talked about, five-star defensive lineman that could push Oklahoma into a top three position nationally. And that's uh, that's Gabriel Brownlow-Dindy. And, and this kid, again, we've talked about him, Rich. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to keep... I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, so to speak, but he's the number one player from the state of Florida, 6'3", 280-pound defensive lineman from Lakeland, Florida. And right now, Oklahoma seems to be a heavy favorite with Ohio State, Texas A&M, Clemson, and then obviously the home state of Florida all coming in and, um, and, and you know, just kind of wooing him, so to speak. He did make a, an official visit last month to Texas A&M and to Ohio State. He's not coming to Oklahoma for an official visit until September 17th, but this is a, a kid that I, I think, I think his recruitment is going to go well into the fall, but as far as players that are most likely to commit next to the university of Oklahoma, I think he has to be one that, that you really look at and say, he's, he's on the fringe and you really hope that that September commitment is uh, that September visit leads to his commitment. I would throw one final name into the mix here. I'm and glad that, you're going to do this because I have one final name as well. Good, good, good. I was going to throw out Caden Holmes, a tight end 6'5", 222 out of Bellevue West. When we look at what Oklahoma has done with tight ends, I feel as though, of course, you want to follow in, in the footsteps of some of these other individuals and be propelled into that NFL category, whether you come out as a top ranked recruit or whether you're sitting there a, a little bit lower. Now, Caden Helms is a four-star recruit according to 247 Sports. However, he's three-star in 
the composite. And when we begin to look at him, it's, it's a situation where I do believe it's coming down to two schools and Caden Helms has already made his visit to both of these Oklahoma and North Carolina. Those are the two front runners, but again, all signs are pointing to Oklahoma. And I do think that if we're talking about an individual who could be that next commitment, Caden Helms is certainly one to watch. 100% agree. I think that's a, a good pick. I was kind of going uh, with my next one actually for the 2023 class. Um, and it's a homegrown product. But when you look at that tight end position, you know, it's funny that we're staying, we're staying at the same position, but uh, Luke Hayes, n- the number one player from the state of Oklahoma out of Bixby, 6'3", 220 tight end, a part of the class of, of uh, 2023. I, I think he, I think he will be committed to the University of Oklahoma probably by the end of the year, but before this signing class really gets gets on on tap because he's really cool and Alabama's having he's he's got 30 scholarship offers and it's group it's the big boys it's Alabama it's Florida State on and on and on but it looks like at this point he wants to stay in the state of Oklahoma and I think if Oklahoma misses out on Gentry Williams then your their next shot obviously to get the top player in the state is going to be this kid in 2023 so that's another one for me to throw out there to, uh, to keep an eye on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we're going to move on to true or false. And, and I, get to, I get to be the guy who asked the questions this week. And I will say this, Rich. Um, you know, um, I'm going to stick mostly with football, but I, I've got a couple of curveballs in here for you. And so I'm going to start with those, if that's okay with you. Yep, go for it. All right, so we're going to start, um, we're going to start by saying this. The only person who is working the transfer portal better than Lincoln Riley is Patty Gasso. True or false? That's absolutely true. And I don't know that Patty Gasso really has to work the transfer portal as much as her track record works the transfer portal. People want to play for a championship caliber program. People want to play for an individual like Patty Gasso who consistently helps people remove some of the struggles that they had through the game of softball and revitalize that passion and the love that they've had for the game. We've seen that dating back to Paige Lowry. Mm -hmm. So when we look at Patty Gasso and what she's doing on the field, Matt, it speaks for itself. And it's very, in my opinion, very difficult, especially when I feel as though the softball community at that, that upper echelon is a very tight knit community. They're individuals who know each other have played on travel teams together from various states and have competed against one another and seen each other at the high school level before coming to that collegiate realm. And so when people begin to speak highly of the environment that is created, the the familial nature of a program, it's easy for that to be a selling point without Patty Gasso ever having to speak a word to a, a potential transfer to a potential individual who's in the transfer portal and is exploring some options that includes Oklahoma. So is she working the transfer portal better than anyone? Absolutely. I agree. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. So let's move on to the second one. Um, kind of a breaking news story because this we're recording this on July 8th and this was announced about four hours ago. Um, now a little bit of controversy here because it says the four original Jordan brand schools, there's lots of arguments out there that, um, that these are the four biggest Jordan brand schools, but not the originals. But we'll, we'll set that aside for, for now. But the four original Jordan brand schools, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, and Oklahoma, are going to make up the field at a marquee new college basketball event. And it's going to, it, it's going to be December of 2022. It's going to be, um, it's, it's going to be the, the, basically it's going to be called the Jumpman Invitational. And it's for men's and women's sports. So here's the question, Rich. True or false? This Jumpman Invitational is going to be bigger for Porter Mosier's brand than it's going to be for Nike. 
ask that again. This it's is going, going to be, be a, bigger for Porter Moser's brand. Yeah, the, his coaching style, Nike. what he's doing at the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting him on this yeah. stage after, I mean, keep in mind, this will be after his first complete season with the University mm-hmm. of Oklahoma. So, you know, they, if they're competitive in the Big 12, if they make it to the tournament, going into yeah. December of 2022, this could be a huge launching point for him. Or is it just bigger for marketing and the Jumpman products? Yeah, I wanted to make sure that I was hearing you correctly and understanding the question, um, because I do believe that it will be bigger for Porter Mosier and his brand and his style of basketball, as well as recruiting needs at this point in time. You know, Oklahoma, I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, Matt, but Oklahoma could very well onboard at least one more transfer right. in terms of a high scoring option. I know that there's one out there in particular who is down to a couple of schools. I believe it to be down to Ohio state and Oklahoma. And I'm blanking on that name at this point in time. But what I do know is that when you can get on a national scene, when you can get on a national level with a bigger, a bigger name on your chest than Loyola, it's going to do wonders for you as a coach. And what we've seen out of Porter Mosier and what we've seen out of the NCAA tournament already has people talking about him. So this, I think, could very well solidify him as an individual that people continuously turn to in terms of high school recruits or even transfers and say, this is the guy that I want to play for. But it's also going to put a product on the court and get this understanding as a recruit or potential transfer of this is the system that they're running. It didn't change at all from what I was expecting or what I've seen already at Loyola. It didn't change. And I know exactly how I fit in that system. So I'm hundred percent on board and I'm hundred percent behind Porter Mosher at this point. So again, to answer your question, I answer that with a resounding true. It's not going to do much for Nike. The Olympics uh, yes. will do more for, for Nike. Than- oh, that's a, that's a very solid point. I think Cedric mm-hmm. Russell, is that who you're talking about? Um, Cedric Russell. Yes. Thank yeah. You. He's uh, he's, I think it's between Ohio state, Oklahoma and Texas tech is, is where he's sitting right now. Oh, um, I think that's unfortunate, but um, <laughs> so I mean, Texas tech has been, been decent these past few years. Yeah. The one you, can't, mean- you can't knock them. But you got to keep in mind, they lost their coach, who's now the head coach at the University of Texas, which is just a whole another can of worms for Texas fans to fight over and for us just to sit back and watch the fireworks and really not care that much. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Uh, we're going to go back to Mikey Henderson. Uh, and I'm just wondering if there's a change of tune here. True or false, Mikey Henderson's departure from this football team opens the way for Trey Bradford to possibly get more playing time in 2021. I'm going to stick with a false on this one. I do see an argument that can be made for true, but for me, it's going to be a false. And the real reason being is that it's going to be difficult, in my opinion, for anyone to step in and take a a majority of carries away from Kennedy Brooks as well as Eric Gray. And then if we wanted to go into that three deep, Matt, it's going to be Marcus Major Mm -hmm. for me. You're looking at an individual in Trey Bradford who still has a red shirt intact, and you can very much so utilize that while still getting him game time experience in the Big 12. My take on the situation has been that Trey Bradford is the future and would be that one-two punch with Marcus Major. So, of course, you want to get him some experience, but I don't think you're willing to risk it to burn that red shirt given the lack of recruits who have come in at the position for Oklahoma. And now (laughs) the situation that has played out leading to the dismissal of two players from that position, you have to protect the future in this instance. And that's the main reason that it's going to be a false for me. Okay. Um, Can't uh, I, again, I can't, I can't argue your logic here. So let's just move on, on to the next topic. Shall we Uh, Staying with football? uh, The big 12 uh, media, it announced its uh, preseason football team on Wednesday. Oklahoma with nine players, the league best nine players um, to that team. If you're wondering who they are and, and where they are, uh, you can go to heartland-sports.com. We have a post up about it. Spencer Rattler, the the big the preseason offensive player of the year. Uh, you mentioned Eric Gray just a second ago, uh, preseason offensive newcomer of the year. So Oklahoma with nine nine names on the on the team. Iowa State with eight. So true or false, just based on the the way the media thinks the Big 12 is going to shake out through this all-conference team, it's going to be Oklahoma and Iowa State once again for the Big 12 championship. 
That's very likely. Um, I, I'm going to say true to that one because it is very likely for me, given the fact that both of these teams have returning starting quarterbacks. Both of these teams, well, Iowa State has pro- probably the best running back in the country coming back. Yeah, we're going Brees there Hall. next. In Brees Hall, Oklahoma, no slouch with Kennedy Brooks, a guy who's eclipsed the thousand yard mark in his previous two seasons after opting out of the 2020 season. It's yet to be seen what kind of conditioning he'll be in. I don't expect him to take a a, a step backwards, but you never know. And it's something that's going to continuously play in my mind. And then, of course, you look at Matt Campbell, a guy who's a defensive coach and who has always given Oklahoma issues when they've collided on the gridiron Oklahoma on the other side of the equation the offensive juggernaut with possibly the best skill position players not just in in the conference but in the country in fact I believe that Oklahoma and Iowa State could very well have two one Heisman finalist two for the conference one Heisman finalist each and it speaks volumes to what they're doing on the field it speaks volumes to the talent that currently exists it speaks volumes to the the job that these coaching staffs are doing and so when these two step onto the field matt you can you can bet that they're going to make a run for the big 12 championship but they're looking for more than that and i know that iowa state is looking to make that first appearance in the college football playoff they of course have the tight end, I just blanked on his name, Charlie Kolar. Right. The tight end who's who's going to be a major, major player and have a major impact on the field. And what we know against this Oklahoma defense is that they simply couldn't stop him. I don't know that there are many defenses that can stop a, a player like Kolar and the connection that he has with Brock Purdy, but we'll see when everything comes down the pipeline and we'll see how these, these two records shake out. But at the end of the year, these are the two best teams in the conference. And not just because of what's being written down on a piece of paper and what the expectations are for individual players, but it's because of the product that they've put on the field consistently under both of these head coaches. Yeah, interesting enough, um, it, it wasn't just heavy towards Oklahoma and Iowa State. Like I said, the Sooners with nine, the Cyclones with eight. Do you know what the next closest group uh, posi- uh, team to yeah, have? The- uh, I, I don't, but I'm going to take a guess here and say that it was Oklahoma State at three. No, it, actually, Oklahoma State had two. Texas Tech had three. Hmm. So, so I mean, Roger Thompson. It's I'll so, go and look. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you real fast. <laughs> uh, the the so Roger Thompson did not, by the way, that your running backs for Brees Hall, who you just mentioned, and then the only player that Texas had on the on the preseason team was Beyond Robinson, the running back. So, um, so Roger Thompson didn't make the list at all. Uh, but that receiver, uh, I I always mess his name up eric Ezumak, man manma whatever you know what i'm talking about uh, uh so their, their receiver made it and then they had offensive lineman dawson deaton and then um they had a punter i mean if you're from texas tech and you're a punter you you have a good chance of of being uh being there um so again that's a little game i like to play called uh name the teams that had more more preseason all-conference players than the University of Texas did. And I, I just named them. Um, so let's move on to the very, very last question I have for true or false, because you kind of segued us into that already. By the way, Big 12 Media Days announced it's going to be uh, for Oklahoma. The, the player representatives are going to be Jeremiah Hall and Nick Benito. Just a little side topic there. That's free of charge. You, you don't have to pay for that nugget of information. All right, here we go. Uh, you mentioned running backs already. Uh, you mentioned Sir Roderick Thompson. You mentioned Brees Hall. I brought in Beyond Robinson. Um, we have a post coming up at Heartland Sports. It's a collective post by all of our writers where we rank the position groups from from worst uh, from first to worst uh, in the Big Twelve. And I was surprised. I I, I do know all the answers because I've looked at all of these. You and I, in just a second, are going to go over our top 10 running backs for the conference, our running back position groups. But I'm just going to throw this out there for you because you've you've done it. You've had a chance to digest it. And now I just want to know if you thought maybe you made a mistake. So here's the question, Rich. True or false? Collectively, the Heartland Sports writing staff completely overlooked the value of Kennedy Brooks returning to this Oklahoma lineup in their position rankings of the running backs for the big 12. No, that one's going to be false. 
<laughs> oh, wow. for me and you clearly disagree with that statement matt i i know i know what we get in kennedy brooks i know that a lot of people are excited about the possibility of eric gray and these two individuals pushing each other to become better and better every day but kennedy brooks did take a year off and what we've typically seen from individuals who sit out even if it's just a few games is they come back and they're just a step slower i'm hoping that that's not the case with kennedy brooks in fact i don't even expect that to be the case with kennedy brooks why because my my expectations for him was that he was preparing for the nfl draft and this was a guy who was easily going to be an invite to the combine that they didn't have and he was easily going to be a guy who produced at an extremely high level just because of the way that he's built kennedy brooks has showcased patience he's showcased explosiveness and he's showcased power and while again matt i don't think this to be the case it's hard to ignore the question of what kind of conditioning what kind of shape will kennedy brooks be in come september 1st I see. I can't. I can't jump on with that, Rich, because I mean, this. This is a guy who is a back-to-back one-thousand-yard rusher. Is he even going to be the starter? I don't think he's going to be the starter. But it, well, that, then why are we even talking about him? Because I think <laughs> you're. Look, here's the thing. Brees Hall. I agree. Talented. Maybe individually the best running back in the Big Twelve. All right. Who's the backup running back? Who Who's the second option for Iowa State? Not a clue. Exactly my point. If Eric Gray is going to beat out Kennedy Brooks, that just pushes him further up that list as far as quality talent. And you mentioned three deep. You you mentioned Kennedy Brooks, Eric Gray, potentially Marcus Major. And I'm talking about running back groups, not individual running backs. So you'll just have to see how all that shakes out collectively with our writing staff uh, when that post comes out later on this afternoon. Uh, but I, I think this is a big fat true here for me. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll agree to disagree. Sounds good to me. Okay. So the final thing we're going to do, Rich, is we're going to rank just you and I provide our big 12 position rankings when it comes to the running back position. Um, and I, I will say this, this is a deep year for running backs uh, in the Big 12. And, and you may have a group, a position group that's ranked in the, the lower half of the bottom half. And that doesn't mean they're bad. It just means this is a, in my opinion, a deep year for running backs in the Big 12. Um, help me out here. What do we decide to do? Are we doing first to worst or worst to first? W- worst to first. Okay. So I'm going to start out with, and I'm, I'm, I just throwing this out here across the board for me on these position rankings, I'm, it's going to be the Kansas Jayhawks. I mean, it doesn't matter what the position is. You name the position and number 10 for me is going to be the, the, the Kansas Jayhawks. Now they got the Velton Gardner kid who could be all world. You just never know. Only ran for 325 yards last season, but who's going to be blocking for them? Uh, you know, who, who's going to be handing the ball off to him? I, I'm not buying into any more preseason Kansas hype saying that this is the year they could maybe get five wins and push for bowl eligibility, or even this is the year maybe they can get two Big 12 conference wins and push for a third. I'm not saying any of that. I, what I am saying, until proven otherwise, Kansas is going to be last on my list across the board. I've got to disagree with you. Okay. And it's, it's for the sheer fact, when we look at Kansas, I think there is a known starter there. So I've actually got Kansas at number nine and Baylor at the bottom of my list. And, and Baylor's biggest issue has been health over the years. Uh, they're going to go into this upcoming season with those health questions still intact and not knowing who their, their starter is, is really going to be that second knock mm-hmm. against them for me, Matt. So given those two components, Baylor's going to sit at the bottom and then Kansas, like I said, because we know that Velton Gardner is going to be the starter there is going to be bumped up just slightly above, but I really feel as though this could be a nine, a and a nine B or a 10, a and a 10 B, however you'd like to rank them. Yeah. I- I think I like Tristan Ebner for Baylor. I think he has a potential, again, not, not a lot of experience, only 50 carries, uh, but 
uh, Baylor, when Craig Williams suffered that knee injury back in November, that's what made the question marks. Like, what is he going to look like, you know, going through the spring, going to the summer? You've got where I, I think your questions about Kennedy Brooks are illegitimate. I think legitimately you could question Craig Williams and what he's going to look like coming back into 2021, but uh, I've got Baylor at number nine. So we're just inverted there. I'm curious about your number eight, because this is exactly what I was talking about. I love Zach Evans and I love what he potentially can be for TCU, but there's so much around him that is unproven, but you've got a guy who can run the ball 54 carries for 415 yards in 2020. He'll be the star. He'll be the the focal point for TCU in 2021, but he can also catch the ball. He's sneaky good out of the backfield, but because there's so many question marks around him and because this conference is so deep at the running back position, I've got Zach Evans and TCU at number eight. I too have, have Zach Evans and TCU at number eight, for a lot of the reasons that, that you've mentioned, when we look at Zach Evans, I do expect him to be the, the focal point in the backfield for this program. What we know is that it was a very slow start for him, but what we saw in the second half, I think there's a lot of promise that he displayed. And if TCU can tap into that, they're going to have one of the better individuals on the field. It's the surrounding, you talk about blocking Matt, it's, it's the ability to keep players out of the backfield and Zach Evans not being the biggest of players isn't necessarily going to shake off tackles as frequently as some of the other players on this list. So I, I do have to be concerned about not his talent, but the yards after contact. And I don't expect that to be extremely high, especially given what these defensive lines of teams like West Virginia, teams like Oklahoma are going to be fielding this year. Right. Uh, and again, it just goes from, from this to me, I, again, I don't know how you are on this, but from this point forward, from Zach Evans at number eight, all the way to number one, to me, these are, these are quality running backs. These, these are guys I would take on my team. Um, it's just hard to find a place where they stack. So who do you have at number seven? Number seven for me, I did go ahead and put Oklahoma state wow. and, and Desmond Jackson. I, I, I get, you can be surprised. That's a okay. Um, but one game is not a, it's not a defining, it's, it's maybe a defining moment, but it's not a defining career for me. I again, think when we look at a guy like a Desmond Jackson, he's an individual who showed what he's, he's capable of. He showed that when he's given the ball that he can, he can make things happen. And it doesn't matter if a guy like Chuba Hubbard or Chuba Hubbard or even LD Brown were sitting there in front of him. And we saw in the latter half of the season, Matt, as these individuals started sitting out, um, quote unquote, being injured, it, it gave way to some of these youngsters who were just nipping at the bit to prove their worth on this team and really solidify themselves for the upcoming years. And so I'm looking at a guy like Jackson, I mean, 59 yards on 17 carries in the final two games of the season. It doesn't give me a lot of hope to bump him up on this list just yet. But again, the talent is there. So he's sitting at number seven for me. Yeah, number seven for me is Sir, uh, Sir Roderick Thompson. Uh, again, uh, all-world type guy, but here's my question, Marks. Uh, who's going to play quarterback for Texas Tech? Because Bowman's gone to Michigan. Uh, what's their offensive line going to look like? You, you've got one guy on the preseason All-Big 12 uh, lit all Big Twelve team, so that's good for you. But 109 carries in 2020, 610 yards, eight scores for this kid. This is a crucial year for Matt Wells. They've, they've got to be bowl eligible, they, and they've got to look good in being bowl eligible. And I think when you, when you look at a crucial year for a coach, you go with what your really your best options are, and I think this could set up, set up to be a huge year for Sir Roderick Thompson and Texas Tech. But because of all those question marks around him, I've got the Red Raiders at number seven. And then I've got Oklahoma State at number six because I think you're undervaluing L.D. Brown in this Oklahoma State offense. We saw him last year kind of – Chuba Hubbard wasn't what Oklahoma State thought they were getting out of him. Uh, so L.D. Brown had to step up in a big way last season for Oklahoma State. Uh, I think that this is a group that has depth. 
you've already mentioned uh, the youngsters behind LD Brown, but this is no doubt to me, this is, this is LD Brown's team going into the 2021 season. <clears throat> and no one needs a healthy, a healthier, stronger LD Brown than, than what, uh, than, than their quarterback, Spencer Sanders, who has struggled his entire career with injury. Oklahoma State has to be able to run the football to be competitive in 2021. And therefore, I think LD Brown is going to probably have a better season than what we saw out of Chuba Hubbard last year. And that's really not going to be hard to do. But I've got Oklahoma State at number six. Number six for me, I, I did put West Virginia. I may regret this one at the beginning of the season with Letty Brown. What we saw out of Letty Brown was a thousand yard season. One of two players in the big 12 to average over hundred yards right. per game. And when we look at what was, what was transpiring at the quarterback position, it very easily said, we need to lean on the running backs. The lack of consistency there from the quarterback position is always going to give way to the running backs. And I think Letty Brown was an individual who benefited heavily from that. I know that when you look at a guy like a Letty Brown, 5.1 uh, yards per carry in 2020, it's not bad. It's 13th in the conference, though, which is a little bit shocking because that number seems not unusually high, but it seems above the average for me. So again, Letty Brown, a guy I think that benefited from poor, poor quarterback play or inconsistent quarterback play, I'm just not sure that he gets that this year. And maybe he does. And like I said, maybe that's why I regret it on day one of the season, but number five, Matt is where I've slotted Texas tech. Okay. And it's, I, I think I send in a little bit of a different boat here. I think Sir Roger Thompson is finally comfortable at the collegiate level of, of play at carrying the ball and knowing what's being asked of him. We look at him, Henry Columbia at the quarterback position. I just don't know the usage. And that's my biggest question mark when it comes to Sir Roderick Thompson, yeah. is he going to be a guy who gets a ton of usage in the upcoming season? Or is he going to be a guy who is just to bail out the quarterback whenever the quarterback's in trouble or whenever the quarterback's struggling? Because I do think he's a very talented guy, one of the more talented guys in the conference. And so it was very difficult for me to drop them below, below the top five. Yeah, look, I, 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 again, I can't argue your point. Because we're talking about, I think guys from this point forward are all guys that I would take on my team. And, and that includes Sir Roderick Thompson, who I've got at number seven, you've got at number five. I think once we move into these top five, these are clearly the, the, the elite part of, of the big 12, because they're the, they're the top five backs that we have in the top half. And that's, that's where I'm putting Letty Brown. I'm starting him at number five because of he's a 1000 yard rusher. I think with Daigie really solidifying last season, that starting quarterback position, going into a full spring, going into a full summer, a lot of the things that we're talking about Spencer Rattler, not having in 2020, you know, nobody had in the big 12, nobody had across the nation they didn't have a full spring. They didn't have a full summer. And I think West Virginia offensively is going to be better than what they were in 2020. And Letty Brown was a thousand yard rusher in 2020 with nine rushing touchdowns. He also caught 31 passes. So this is a kid that I think is going to really elevate his stock in the 2021 season. And probably the truth is deserves to be higher than, than where he is starting at number five on our list. But again, Tell me which of these other four guys you would replace him with, because when I look at number four, I'm going with the least experienced of this group, and that's uh, Beyond Robinson out of out of Texas. and And I get I get the potential, okay? I get last season 700 rushing yards. I, I get all of that, but now it's his team. The, moving forward, he's going to have a new quarterback that's that's not settled yet, Casey Thompson, with the inside track there. But what's he going to look like when he doesn't have a fullback at the quarterback position that everyone has to really, really kind of key in on defensively? What's he going to look like without Connor Williams blocking for him up front? There's a lot of questions about Beyond Robinson being as young as he is. I'm not going to say he doesn't deserve to be all conference preseason because, again, the potential there is through the roof. But you got a new coach. You got a new offensive system. You got a new quarterback. I think we do need to pump the brakes on him a little bit. Let's not anoint him as the best running back in the Big 12 just yet. 
let's say he has potential, but let's, let's just cautiously move forward with him. That's why I have him at number four. Number four for me, this may, may surprise you given your number four is going to be Kansas state and Deuce Vaughn. I know what we saw out of him early on in the season, Matt, but we quickly saw a lot of those numbers diminish for him when Skylar Thompson right. went down. Everybody was able to key in on the running back position and make Kansas State beat them by throwing the ball. Deuce Robinson, an excellent talent, a guy who lacks experience, but given the fact that Skylar Thompson is coming back, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking that he picks up right where he left off. Excuse me. <clears throat> Picking up right where he left off before that that injury at the quarterback position deuce robinson a guy who can deuce excuse me deuce vaughn a guy who can who can do it all whether that's catching the ball out of the backfield whether that's running and he's small enough that he can hide behind these offensive line uh linemen and and surprise some of these linebackers who are trying to fill these gaps and and make sure that their assignments are covered but with a physical brand of football it's a guy that i know will undoubtedly have success there in Manhattan, Kansas, which brings me to number three, which is where we're going to disagree heavily. And it's Oklahoma for all the reasons that I've already mentioned. You're shaking. You are shaking your head at the moment. Man, I was going off of expected starters and I expected Kennedy Brooks to be the starter heading into the year. Yes, Matt, I get that he had two 1,000 yard rushing uh, performances, two 1,000 really <laughs> yard seasons, but everyone forgot about Kennedy Brooks. Why? Because of what we've already said, he didn't play the 2020 season. So it's easy for me to drop him into that number three spot. I do believe that this, this running back crew looks good on paper. I do believe that Kennedy Brooks is the best of the best, but the part that I'm really struggling with, with Kennedy Brooks still comes in to the conditioning and what, what will he look like once he takes the field? Man, look, I, here, here's the, the problem with this conditioning argument is I really can't, I really can't go against it as much because you saw Oklahoma's offensive line start the season out of shape last year. Thank but you. But what I can say is what I've said so many times already is that this isn't 2020. These guys had a full spring. They had a, they're going to have a full summer. I don't think it's going to be possible for Kennedy Brooks to enter this season out of shape. That's not a concern for me, but I just don't have the ammunition to back it up because stinking Tyrese Robinson jumping in there not willing, not able to go more than three snaps without putting his hands on his hip to start the season last year. That said, I still say you're way, way undervaluing the return of Kennedy Brooks to this Oklahoma lineup. I, I, I've got Deuce Vaughn at number three and the Kansas State Wildcats. What Sam Ellinger was to be on Robinson is what Skylar Thompson was to Deuce Vaughn in 2020 when you saw skylar thompson you mentioned this rich when you saw you saw skylar thompson drop out with that injury early in the season right after the oklahoma game you saw the productivity of deuce vaughn just disappear as well that that duo is coming back except for when they play oklahoma they're going to be fun to watch how how they work together deuce vaughn i believe would have been a 1,000 yard rusher in 2020 had Skylar Thompson remained healthy. We know he didn't, but also Deuce Vaughn's not going to be a surprise to anybody going into this coming fall. So when when you look at who's going to have to really kind of come in there and you know, I, I guess defensive schematics are going to be different facing Kansas State than they were to start the season. But all that said. To me, the game I'm most worried about on Oklahoma's football schedule is going to Manhattan, Kansas to play these guys again. I think there's a lot of potential there for Oklahoma fans to really be frustrated with this game, particularly if they can't get things clicking offensively. Number two for me is the University of Oklahoma. And really, I could make an argument for them to be 1-1-B. One, one I'm not going to take away, obviously, that means I've got Iowa State at, at number one, I'm, I'm not going to take away from, from who Brees Hall is. 
going into this season, undoubtedly to me, Brees Hall is the top running back in the Big 12. But I think Oklahoma collectively is the top running back group in the Big 12. Uh, when, when you look at the, the impact that Eric Gray is going to have on this team, again, it's, it's Kennedy Brooks. I'm, I'm telling you, you guys are so undervaluing his return that probably about a month into the season, if it takes that long, you're going to be like, yeah, you were right about this, Matt. Um, and then Marcus Major. If the Marcus Major we saw in the Cotton Bowl shows up, to start this season, this is going to be an incredibly talented running back group that's going to propel Oklahoma not only to a Big 12 championship, also back into the college football playoff. But you got to give Brees Hall his due. He's earned the right to go into this season as the number one running back. And that's why I've got Iowa State number one. But I'm telling you, one, one A and one B could easily fit this. Oklahoma's number two on my list, but there's not that much of a gap where you could actually make them number two, one uh, A, one B for me. That that's how I'm going to close this out. <laughs> I did go with number two, Texas and B. John Robinson. Buying the hype. I am buying the hype. This is a kid, Matt, who came out of high school with a lot of that surrounding right. him, and right. I think that he he's lived up to it. You've already mentioned the fact that a lot of the carries were being taken away from him because of the system yeah. that they were running under Tom Herman and the quarterback in Sam Ellinger that they had. When you remove Sam Ellinger, those numbers have to go up, and uh -huh. if he got over 700 yards in that system without the number of carries that I expect him to get moving forward. It's easy to say that this, this kid will be one of the best, not just in the, in the conference, but potentially in the country. And he's still very young mm -hmm. and isn't even an upperclassman and will soon get there. But the sky's the limit with this kid. Uh, I can't take anything away from him as much as we like to dislike Texas. He's just a very talented player and he's living up to the billing that's been placed around him with, which leaves me number one, Iowa state as well. I think one of the, aside from the proven and experienced qualities of a guy like Brees Hall, one of the things that we failed to mention is his ability to break tackles. Right. This is a guy who had 935 yards, Matt, 935 yards after contact. He will be one of the most electric ball carriers in the country. He will certainly be a player to watch. And he's certainly a player that all defensive coordinators must, must account for Absolutely. each and every time he steps onto the field in various capacities. And when you look at the three headed monster that exists there, you can't just key in on a guy like Brees Hall, which is what allows him some mobility and some freedom to roam the field. There is green grass typically in front of him is what you'll find. I expect that to be the case heading into the season this year. And he's going to be the, the guy that they can consist consistently uh, rely on lean on when other parts of the offense aren't functioning at 100%. I can't argue that point. I mean, I, I'm just going to say I think Oklahoma is just as good. I don't. I want to. I don't want to take away from Brees Hall. I think the kid's talented, um, but I think collectively, a lot of people are, are going to be surprised at how good this Oklahoma running back stable is going to be. That's going to wrap it up for us this week on the Sooner Nation podcast. We'd love to. Uh, We'd love to have you share your input. You can catch us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Obviously, anywhere you find podcasts, you can subscribe to us and get us uh, get notifications when we produce new episodes. You can find us every day on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner. We'll be back to talk to you again sometime next week.